Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I am Chris Maxwell Rose, founder of PleasureMechanics.com, along with my beloved partner, Charlotte Mia Rose, who is this week on vacation with her brothers in California. And so while Charlotte splashes in the ocean, I am in conversation with Ariel Greenberg, author of Super Freaks, Kink, Pleasure, and the Pursuit of Happiness. As I tell Ariel in the interview, this book really feels like sliding into a cozy diner booth with a very wise and experienced friend and a bottomless cup of coffee and the opportunity to ask all of your questions about kink. This is not a how-to book. This is a book about the psychology of kink, the why we play the way we play, and kind of a tour, a very compassionate tour into the wide expanse. We've been talking about this on the podcast recently, about just how broad the horizons of human eroticism are, how many ways we can play together, how many things we desire, how many different ways we want to feel during sex, right? The emotions and psychology of turn on and arousal Um, This is what has fascinated me my whole life about human sexuality, and I was so delighted to join a fellow sex geek and perv connoisseur in conversation. So I hope you enjoy this interview. If you are intrigued and want to dive deeper into kink with us, you can join our online course at pleasuremechanics.com slash kink. And that course is 25 guided date nights into the realm of kink, where we kind of hold your hand and help you explore what your relationship to kinky play might be to help you articulate with words and language and expression how you want to play. That resource is available for you at pleasuremechanics.com slash kink. You will find that link and links to this book in the show notes page. And if you are listening to this right away, there is also an invitation for an upcoming event with Ariel. So you can join the community in conversation about these really fascinating and endlessly thrilling topics. So please enjoy this interview with Ariel Greenberg. It is an invitation for all of us to let our freak flag fly a little prouder and open up to more of what is possible in these incredible human bodies of ours. Yes, here's the interview with Ariel Greenberg, author of Super Freaks. Ariel, welcome to Speaking of Sex. Can you please introduce yourself and this beautiful book you wrote? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here in this conversation with you. My name is Ariel Greenberg, and I am the author of Super Freaks, Kink, Pleasure, and the Pursuit of Happiness, which Mm -hmm. is out now from Beacon Press. Mm -hmm. And I want to dive right into this title. I love the cover of this book. As soon as I received it in the mail, it made me smile so hard. Um, But this title, um, Super Freaks, Kink, Pleasure, and the Pursuit of Happiness. So first, why Super Freaks? Because the word freaks, like for the little kid in me, it's such a loaded term. It's something I was called. It's something I was afraid of being. And for the adult in me, it's a word I relish and kind of mm. luxuriate in and um why this word and why not 
and why you know not just freaks but super freaks <laughs> yeah um well we owe something to rick james uh of course for that title mm -hmm. and um i yeah there's so much i want to say about that i guess the first thing i want to say is you know it is uh obviously a nod to a, a song that people hopefully know um and I wanted right off the bat for the book to feel familiar and inviting and fun. And I feel like the reference to that kind of pop culture moment, you know, has that embedded in it. So I didn't want it to feel, uh, I didn't want there to feel like there were any barriers to entry for this book. And so starting <laughs> with a title that was, you know, kind of familiar and in the conversation already, I thought would be um, one way to do that. This book is really fun and welcoming and this title as a way of really centering the fun and pleasure and happiness and joy that I hope is at the core of this book. Um, you know, that word freaky, like get freaky, freaky girl, you know, all those, it's still used in a lot of popular song and it's still, um, you know, means something delicious, usually, I think, in those songs, like something mm -hmm. kind of enviable and admirable. Um, even though she might not be the kind of girl you take home to mama, um, although <laughs> I am a girl that people have taken home to their mamas with great success, um, you know, that idea of like, you you look up to this person who's a super freak, you are excited to be with them, you are, um, you know, honored to sort of be in their presence, because they're special in that way. And that's definitely the connotation I was going for here. Um, I am a big lover of uh, countercultural movements, subcultural movements, a sort of like amateur historian of those, I actually wrote a college textbook on subcultures um, or edited a college textbook on subcultures. And, um, and as I was growing up, you know, my parents, I was born in 1972. My parents were, you know, sort of not full on hippies, but definitely kind of leaning in that direction. And so mm -hmm. I grew up like knowing about Woodstock and hippies and, and loving that whole idea and sort of nonconformist, um, approach to life and, you know, used to watch the documentary of Woodstock um, as a kid and just like kind of weep for not having not been there. Um, <laughs> and uh, the word freak in the counterculture of the 60s is actually what hippies who were really kind of hardcore, you know, radical out there groovy folks um, called themselves. They, they generally didn't use the word hippie. They used the word freak. And that idea of letting your freak flag fly, mm -hmm. that saying comes from that counterculture. And that idea of like really, it's pride, right? It's like being open and out and proud of your difference. Um, and in the recent years, I have started researching the uh, kind of groupie movement more. Um, that's also just like a subculture that's always been interesting to me and found out that like a lot of the original groupies who, you know, really were influential and um, and did kind of incredible artistic things. You know, groupies get a bad rap because they're sort of just thought of as girls who sleep with 
rock stars or something, but really it was, uh, there were sisterhoods and there were not just sisterhoods. There were also a lot of, um, gay and non-binary and kind of like, um, just interesting queer and alternative folks involved at the fringes of those scenes. Mm -hmm. And there was like a lot of camaraderie and artistic production and adventure that was had. And those folks tended to also, they they use the term freak um, proudly and called themselves freaks. So it has this great sort of dual tradition, I think, um, like in the sexual space and then also just kind of in a more non, like generally nonconformist subcultural space of being, you know, underground or choosing a path less traveled and proud of it. Mm. Um, and that is what I really think of when I, when I think of the word freak and I, you know, I guess I'll say I too, as a kid, was um, you know often kind of outcast and told that I was a weirdo and uh, you know not included, and that was a really hard experience. But it also was a gift because I realized pretty young um, maybe I didn't really have the option to try to fit in because it just yes. wasn't going to work. <laughs> and so I could embrace not fitting in and I could, uh, and really go deep into what I wanted and who I was and mm. de- develop that part of myself. And, um, and then that allowed me to gravitate towards other weirdos and find my tribe, which, um, I know we're going to talk about community later on, but like I there, I, my life would not be my life without having learned really young how to identify my people and seek them out and forge strong connections with them and, um, and really lift each other up. Mm. And your subtitle walks us right into that kink pleasure and the pursuit of happiness, right? Um, I was so happy to see this word happiness included because, you know, again, within my life, I agree, like my, some of my closest friendships, uh, my deepest learning opportunities, my paths of transformation have all been because I have found community around what I thought made me the freakiest of freaks (laughs) yeah, and finding togetherness in that and community in that, but also a deep happiness and satisfaction in that. And that is sometimes a hard picture to paint for people who are on that tentative edge of exploration, who know that there's something in them that they want to explore, but the idea of erotic community is almost unimaginable. Um, so what is that invitation? Like, how do you paint the, how do you connect the dots between stepping into your kinks with curiosity and a path of happiness? Yeah, I think that they're so connected because of course they're both ultimately about self-awareness, self-actualization, um, mm. really being curious about ourselves, giving ourselves permission to take risks, to be adventurous, to live in an abundance 
mindset, <laughs> um, not one of scarcity, to imagine that there are others out there like us who want to connect with us um, and who have things to teach us and things to uh, and ways to support us. And that's true. And I hope that readers of this book, if nothing else, will come away feeling like, oh, wow, I, I thought I was maybe alone in this very weird, you know, in this, you know, sexual desire that I don't see represented in the media, that I don't, you know, that it's been hard to find partners for maybe, but wow, no, uh, <laughs> according to this book, there's people out there who maybe have the same exact thing that I have that I thought nobody else had, or have things that I've never heard of. So that's just evidence that there's more of us out there than I ever knew. And, um, you know, I got to do so much wonderful research for this book. And just one moment that springs to mind as I say that is I watched a short um, video documentary about a camp for um, kind of pony players, uh, people who you know dress up as uh, ponies and role play as ponies in sort of an, an erotic space. And it is it was held, I don't know if it's held anymore, but it was held outdoors and, you know, there were activities and there's like, you know, like, like yeah. as if you were really going to a pony camp, right? So there's like bridling and, you know, instruction and grooming and jumping, you know, uh, um, contests and things like that. And when you watch this video, which is a, a lovely, well-made video, it's not, um, there's no shaming, I would say, in, in the video that I could, that I detected at least, um, people that you just see people living their best lives, you know, <laughs> they're so happy. Um, they're so happy to have this opportunity to uh, explore that aspect of their creative erotic imaginations they're so happy to be with others who get it they're so happy to be in a space where there is um all of the accoutrement they need to be able to kind of live out that dream mm -hmm. and they just they're blissed out you know <laughs> <laughs> which of course they are um so i i you know and so that's just one example but uh, if you are out there and listening and you are like, ah, there's some things I like that are a little strange, um, remember the pony players frolicking in a meadow somewhere together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like there's, there's, there are people there, your people are out there. And this book really reads as um, it felt like sliding into a diner booth with an endless cup of coffee in front of me, um, sharing knowledge with a very informed friend. So Aww. thank you for taking that that approach. Oh, because <laughs> um, a lot of the media around kink can either be, as you said, shaming, like an outright flawed, right? Like a lot of the mainstream sure. representations we see, uh, people, actors are holding toys in the wrong way. And, <laughs> you know, there's lots of pajamas wearing a collar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is slowly changing as um is slowly changing, but not fast enough. And so that misinforms us from the start. But then kink is often mis, you know, uh, conflated with criminality, um, with uh, malintention. Um, and so sometimes like it can feel unapproachable because the meaning making behind the activities we want to explore um, aren't represented in a way that feel true to us, right? So I'm thinking about something like 
um, piss play, which often when it's depicted, it's kind of conflated with dehumanization and degradation. And why would someone want to do such a dirty thing? Uh, when for me and for others, it's like a very wholesome bonding, connecting activity. Yeah. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't witnessed it being done in a social context where I was with my friends and I glanced over and I saw people participating in something and saw the looks on your face, as you said, saw the bliss. Yeah. And yeah. so that social proofing isn't available for everyone right away. Um, I did want to talk about community at the end of this interview, but maybe we'll just weave it throughout because for me, it's been such an important part of my kink uh, lifetime. Um, But thank you for this book that for many people will be that first cup of coffee with a compassionate voice um, that not only understands like the range of what's possible, but the range of what it can mean, how it can show up in our lives. So I want to talk about, um, you know, because within this question of happiness is for me a question of specificity and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And this discernment of like, not only what am I into, but why am I into it? What does it mean for me? What emotions are being thrummed? Um, So can you talk to me some about that kind of process of specificity that kink is really an invitation into? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh gosh, there's so many things you said there that I would love to get into. Um, <laughs> for one thing, that the cup of coffee in a diner long conversation is exactly what I was going for. So I'm so so sad, gratified that that's um, how it came across to you. Um, mm-hmm. I one of the things I think about when I think about writing this book is that um, you know I have I was I am this lifelong fetishist with a very particular fetish that's not particularly common. And uh, you can read all about it in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was always aware that I had that like what turned my head erotically was not what was being represented, you know, in most media, and that it would sound strange to other people if I said it out loud. Um, But I am of the age where uh, I, I was in my sort of, you know, late teens, early 20s, when the internet started becoming available in people's, you know, homes. And um, I, like, like millions of others, immediately turned to it for to explore my sexuality, because we're humans, and that's what we do. Um, So this, you know, there's this brand new resource, it has like unlimited potential. And like, immediately, there's this thing called alt.sex, this Mm -hmm. Usenet forum, (laughs) you know, back in the like the very earliest days of kind of uh, the World Wide Web. on which people just started immediately posting. And this is, you know, kind of pre-photos, pre-like hookup, anything. It's just kind of like, oh my gosh, are there other people out there into X? And of course, yes, there were. There were other people out there into X. And so, you know, I started finding forums and people discussing and people building websites for things related to my fetish. But um, I will say that my fetish... um, in my experience is uh, most commonly shared by gay men and like most sort of celebrated within gay male culture. And I am not a gay man. And so I was aware (laughs) that although I could kind of like access those resources and enjoy them on my own, I couldn't really step into those spaces as community because that wasn't appropriate. That's not appropriate for me to do, right? It's not my space. Um, 
So I could be kind of an observer, a silent observer, but I, I, I was not going to try to reach out and connect with folks there because I am not useful <laughs> to those people. <laughs> me and honey and throw me to the bears. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I love a bear. That's basically my kink, but I am not like, that's, it's not really mine. Like bear culture is not really mine, although I'm so glad it exists and I'm so, I love it so much. Um, but so then when I first found I found one cis woman who described like basically being into bears. Um, she didn't, I don't think she knew the term bears or I don't know if I did at the time, but she was like, yeah, this is what I'm into. I remember very specifically, it was like through an AOL forum or something like that. And she was a flight attendant and, you know, in her twenties and she just kind of described this, you know, kind of profile of the, the, you know, what turned her on. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is also what turns me on. This is crazy because it's so specific. I mean, to your question about specificity, um, I think many of us, especially fetishists, uh, it is it is a misnomer or a, a misunderstanding, a widespread misunderstanding that, you know, if you are, let's say, a foot fetishist, which is probably the most commonly known one, then you have everything in common with all other foot fetishists and you're all one big, you know, kind of homogenous group. But in fact, <laughs> the nature of being a fetishist, and we don't know exactly why, but there are theories around brain wiring and other things and synapses, uh, tend to be incredibly specific in what we like. So a foot fetishist may only like bare, clean feet or a foot fetishist might only like stinky feet shod inside Doc Martin combat boots or a foot fetishist may only like me and on and on like literally ad infinitum and so the like foot fetish porn you give to one foot fetishist may be like actually a complete turnoff because if you're really into clean feet and you get stinky feet you know dirty feet foot fetish porn then you're like i this does nothing for me <laughs> in fact i i'm not i'm like i'm not interested at all um and vice versa so i was so excited to find this this woman who was sort of describing something very similar to what i was into and i reached out to her i mean we're obviously we were not ideal sexual partners for one another we were both like the person seeking this thing but I felt like, wow, we have all this in common. And I was like, oh, let's talk about it. Let's slide into that, you know, virtual diner uh, booth and have a long forever conversation about like the who, what, and when, and why, and you know, wherefore of this. Mm -hmm. And she was like, um, it's just what I like. I don't, I don't need to talk about it really. <laughs> Totally her prerogative and completely understandable, but I was like, oh no. <laughs> there are freaks and then there are geeky freaks. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh, you know, 10 um, years of like searching or whatever, dash. So this book is like that opportunity for uh -huh. me to sort of have that conversation about the why um, and for others who care about the why to be able to go deep and have fun exploring that. Um, I guess I would say that uh, I love this term sexual theater that I quote from um, scholar Stephen K. Stein. Uh, you know, ultimately, kink is 
an extension of the imaginary games we know intuitively how to tap into as children and find so much satisfaction and joy and pleasure in when we're little kids, right? It's not obviously sexual, but we're just like, I'm going to pretend to be something, someone else, and so are you, and we're in another space, and we are you know, just kind of going crazy with whatever we can think of that seems fun. And we don't really, you know, there's not a lot of space to keep doing that after we hit our teens um, in a kind of playful way with others, uh, except <laughs> if you're kinky and you are uh, start exploring that in your, as part of your sexuality then that can be a way to kind of keep a lifelong spirit and spark of pretend play uh, and theater uh, as part of your daily life, if you so choose. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break from this interview to thank our sponsors for this episode. Morgasm CBD Arousal Lube is my new favorite lube. I'm playing with it a lot recently. Thank goodness they sent me another tube because I have been playing with this lube a lot. It has this beautiful warming sensation that's not overwhelming like a lot of other lubes. This is a gentle glow from within wherever you apply this lube. It's a wonderful water-based lube enhanced with CBD, which is a cannabis product, but it doesn't get you high. It just kind of relaxes you and works on blood flow. And it can enhance however you want to play. This can be used clitorally, vaginally, anally, with toys, with condoms. So it can really become your go-to lube if, like me, you love how it feels in your body. Try it out and let us know how it works for you. Right now, Morgasm is offering our listeners 15% off your order when you enter the code PLEASURE at Morgasm.com. That's www.morgasm.com and use the code PLEASURE to get 15% off this Pure Fire CBD Arousal Lubricant. And we are thrilled to introduce you to our new sponsor, ShamelessCare.com. Shameless Care offers ED medication and STI testing from the privacy of your own home with the support of board-certified physicians in all 50 states. So not only do you get the highest quality erectile medications or thorough STI testing, but you get conversation, a relationship with a board-certified sex-positive physician who is trained and competent and comfortable in conversations about sex-positive lifestyles. So if you have questions about what ED medication might be right for you, if the medication you're on doesn't seem to be working as well as you want it to, or you want to explore the option of getting a full panel STI test from the privacy of your own home, we highly recommend you check out shamelesscare.com. Go to shamelesscare.com and use the coupon code PLEASURE for $30 off your order. That's shamelesscare.com. Use the coupon code PLEASURE for $30 off. 
This link will be in the episode notes and at pleasuremechanics.com slash toolbox. And now back to our interview. Mm-hmm. And I want to give you a moment, a little sidebar to differentiate between fetish and kink, because it was one of the glorious moments in your book where you get very kind of like in the diner, you lean forward and you're like, look, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's semantics, but words matter. So what is the difference between a kink and a fetish yeah. and the overlap there? And why is it important that we differentiate? Yeah, so these words do get used interchangeably out there in the world, which uh, saddens me as a poet and writer who cares so deeply about words and their meanings. Um, You know, I care about them like from that artistic standpoint, but also, as you say, words matter in a very material way because if we're going to be negotiating play with others or even just figuring out our identities for ourselves, we need to find and have accurate words to describe who we are and what we want so that we can communicate that to ourselves internally and also to other people we might play with or be in relationship with. Um, So I think of kink as the umbrella term um, for all non-normative sexual play, although I want to just offer the caveat that non-normative is a cultural construct. What is normal in one time or place or culture is maybe not normal in another time or place or culture. And so that changes over time and space and culture and all of that. But, you know, uh, there are norms and cultures and times and we and most of us feel pretty bound by them. So uh, one of the ways I describe, you know, what is non-normative or kinky sex is that it's sex that plays with the uh, taboos or like crosses taboo lines within the culture that you operate in. Um, And so, you know, the things that we often see represented in the media or even at kink events, uh, like impact play or um, people serving as D type, D dominant types or S submissive types, or, um, or certainly all the different kinds of bondage and rope play that there is out there. Those all are sort of under the BDSM category. Um, fetishes, uh, there is, there can be overlap, but, um, fetishes are about very, very strong preferences. We could call them or orientations. We could call them towards like really specific objects or behaviors that are not usually considered sexualized. Mm -hmm. So parts of the body, like a foot or an armpit, um, materials like latex or nylon, um, uh, objects outside the body like uh, balloons or um, uh, stereo equipment or <laughs> um, uh, or behaviors like smoking or um, eating to excess. So things that, you know, if you put up a video, right, let's say, of just a person scratching their armpit on YouTube, mm-hmm. it would not get flagged by YouTube as adult content. They're fully dressed. They're not talking sexy. They're literally just sitting there, scratching their armpit, gazing into the middle distance. <laughs> and for most people who would come across that video, they might be like, huh, that's a silly video or you know they might have no feelings whatsoever they're just uh-huh. like why is this on here 
for somebody with an armpit fetish that is like that particular specific kind of armpit and activity, that is their porn, right? So they're like, yeah. they can masturbate and to orgasm just watching that video, fully dressed person scratching their armpit. That's a fetish. And that kind of thing <laughs> um, tends to be, I think, left out of conversations, even within the quote unquote BDSM community, because, you know, for one thing, it's, it's, uh, you can't, it's not as easy to do like in a dungeon as pickup play. You can't really go have a workshop about it because it's really about like your, your own innermost, deepest, most specific turn-ons. Um which may or may not line up with, you know, the person who happens to be sitting next to you at a munch mm -hmm. or event. And a useful tool in the book is what you call this spectrum of fetishistic tendency. We love a spectrum here at Pleasure Mechanic. <laughs> um, so can you talk a little bit about why it's important to remember that these things do exist on a spectrum, right? And that armpit that might right. be a neutral to someone and an absolute arousal to another, you know, for me, I love when people sniff my armpits, come in mm. my armpits. Um, it's like a very way of like bonding, again, the wholesome bonding for me, mm -hmm. um, that molecular inhalation of one another. Um, but I can get off without it, right? So I might right. be, where right. am I on that spectrum? And why, you know, spectrums are important. Why did they you- They are really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, so all of us, um, our desires wax and wane and our- you know, from moment to moment and also like what, and we are curious beings by nature. Humans are novelty seeking primates. And so we like a new thing every once in a while. Some of us really like a new thing. Although I will say fetishists tend to be mm -hmm. rather formulaic in our brains. And it sometimes it really doesn't change mm -hmm. as much as it can for other folks. Um, but let's take piss play, which you brought up earlier, which I love talking about. Um, so yeah, I mean, there could be somebody who considers themselves like quite vanilla in their sexuality, but uh, if they have a partner who is like, hey, I have this idea that maybe like I could piss on your leg and that would be really fun for me. Would you be open to that? That person might be like, um, yeah, okay, I'll give that a go. And they've never really thought about it before. And then they try it and maybe they're like, eh, it wasn't really my thing. Or maybe they're like, that was kind of fun. But it's, you know, a pretty neutral experience for them. I would say they are not a piss play fetishist at all, right? Like, but but they tried it once. It doesn't mean they can't try it or they can't mm -hmm. engage with it in some way. Um, then there might be somebody who, you know, when their partner says or they may say like, hey, every once in a while, let's try this particular kind of piss play. Um, and they're both like, woo, yeah, that that would be that would be fun. That would be exciting. Let's let's try that every once in a while. But it's not the center of their sex life. Maybe they do many other kinds of things. They don't do it every time. They don't need it to get aroused. It's just kind of like something that definitely they're a little interested in. And so maybe they're more like a level one, you know, on the spectrum of, of fetishistic desire. And then maybe there's a person who's like, you know, I really, if I'm going to go searching for porn, I would like it to involve piss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's my preference. I don't, uh, it doesn't need to happen in my actual life every day or even that often, but if I'm going to use my imagination or seek out, like spend some time seeking out porn, you know what kind of porn I like the most? Piss play porn. <laughs> 
and they, you know, it's just kind of like, it's definitely a little bit more central to their sexuality, whether or not it's, even though maybe it's more like in the fantasy realm for them, right? And then when we get up into the sort of higher scales, there would be folks for whom, like, if there is not some aspect of piss play, even if it's just talking about it or mm -hmm. smelling it or, um, you know, thinking about it while they're coming uh, in their own heads, then it's not really a fully satisfying sexual experience or they can't quite get there. Um, yeah. And then at the highest level, I would say for fetishists are the people who like are like, fuck the whoever is involved. I just need the piss. <laughs> like it sort of doesn't, it starts, it stops mattering quite so much. <laughs> like yeah. the rest of the relationship dynamic. It's just like, is my magical object, my talisman of power, my fetish present? Yes. Then I'm aroused. If it's not, then I'm not. And, you know, all other factors sort of are secondary or tertiary or way down the line to the presence of the kind of piss play that I like. So, you know, for me, I would say um, I do love bears because my fetish is around like uh, other people indulging in excessive uh, eating or drinking and then proudly having the bodies that show the evidence of that. But for me, like the gender of that person doesn't matter like it can that person can be any gender it's really about the behavior and the attitude and the sort of like certain things about the aspect mm -hmm. of the shape and and um you know things i find and really attractive about uh the physical you know phys physical aspects of that person i mean i'm queer anyway so gender doesn't really isn't a determining factor for me but like specifically within the fetish like i could watch youtube videos of any person of any gender, age, whatever, uh, doing the kind of behaviors that I find exciting, um, as long as like the other parameters are met, the other criteria are met, you know what I mean? Maybe this is a good time for the four P's when you're talking about taboo and transgression. Mm -hmm. um, can you walk us through the four P's and kind of yes. um, remind us where those uh, normative boundaries have been held in this yeah. culture? In yeah. this time, which, as you remind us, changes. Yes, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is something I was really proud of coming up with, this idea of the four Ps. Like, so what, um, what is taboo? I, I was able to come up with kind of four categories, which all I got to have to start with the letter P because I'm that kind of word geek. Um, so <laughs> things that, but I think we will all recognize these, right, as like, ooh, that's fraught. That's problematic that gets into some uncomfortable territory and so now we know it's starting to cause some unease and so that's probably that's taboo so the four p's that i um identify are power uh which of course we are all in power non-consensual power <laughs> dynamics all the time every day um and so power is like an uncomfortable space for us to occupy. Both ends of that can be uncomfortable spaces for people to occupy. And we all have to kind of uh, work within systems of power all the time. Um, and that is, uh, can be a real struggle, especially for those uh, in marginalized communities. Um, so that's a big one. And then uh, psychology, this idea that like we're supposed to be kind and honest and um, civil maybe to one another, 
so then when you get into play, so I guess to back up for a second. So if you start playing with power, right, intentionally, consensually, and saying like, I'm going to step into this role of dominance or authority, um, and you are going to step into this role of submission or surrender, and we're choosing that and we're negotiating that space and we are doing that for a limited time period or, you know, like under very particular circumstances that we've both decided, mutually decided upon, um, that can be incredibly liberating and freeing, right? Because you are saying like, oh, in my everyday life, I'm really uncomfortable being in a position of authority or I'm really uncomfortable not being in a position of authority. So what would happen if in my erotic space, I played with that and I explored it and kind of like went up against that edge for myself of, uh, of unease. And so psychologically, similarly, maybe you're somebody who really uh, is very brusque in the everyday world. And that's just sort of who you are. You like have a, you know, you have a lot of um, guard up and you don't, you're not a particularly, uh, you don't feel comfortable being a particularly warm person. <laughs> um, but in your erotic life, then it might feel really, and I'm specifically choosing this rather than being like, maybe you're somebody who's really kind and generous <laughs> in your life because it can work either way. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it being brusque actually, and a little bit guarded is also totally culturally acceptable in our culture. Um, and, but if you therefore stepped into a space, uh, where you were like, I'm just going to fawn all over my partner and praise mm -hmm. them to the heavens, that could be really uncomfortable for you, especially if you maybe grew up in a household where like no one got praised and mm -hmm. uh, people were not generous with that. And that was what you were taught. It might feel really edgy and exciting to either give or receive or both just like unadulterated adoration. Right. And that could feel really taboo. Um, Which I want to pause. And that's the, yeah. those are the ways where if we work those edges purposefully, um, even some seemingly normative uh, behaviors, objects, experiences um, can open up for us uh, some of the same pleasures and happinesses of uh, what we would perceive as more extreme kinks. Yes. Some kinks that are more perceived to be extreme, actually, when you experience them are quite um, pleasant and actually feel more like a you know? Um, right. Absolutely. Right. You could be like, listen, you could spank me all day long. Like it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. But if you tell me I am like such a good boy and uh, you just think that I am the best little boy ever, something might explode with yeah. me because like, I've never been told that and no yeah. one's ever seen me that way. And that's, you know, might not sound super like freaky to some listeners, but for depending on who we are and how we've grown up and what what floats our boat and what lights us up like that could be the most kinky and powerful thing there yeah. would be for us yeah so let's not underestimate that silent p of psychology yes please continue so we have power one. and psychology and then the putrid mm. um which is anything that you know we think of culturally as repulsive so that includes things like urine right blood like bodily fluids tend we tend to be in our puritanical uh ancestry pretty squeamish about bodily fluids um and because of misogyny even more so about um 
fluids that come from uh, bodies with ovaries or uteruses or cervixes mm -hmm. or things like that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but also certainly like fecal matter, um, sweat, spit, all of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot, every time there's a movie <laughs> where somebody spits in, in somebody else's face or mouth as part of a sex scene, like no one, everyone loses their minds. Mm. Like, oh my God, did you see that sex scene where there was spit involved? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like, you know, I think we really have some very strong lines about what we think of as like repulsive um, fluids or, act right. or bodily activities and then functions as well as, you know, food, mess, like there's a whole fetish around uh, kind of like splooshing, which is just like messy, messy play with like mm -hmm. paint or slime or mud or food or, you know, just like getting really dirty. Uh, and for many of us, that's like, no, thank you. But mm -hmm. for that's why for some people that is like the best thing ever. Um, and then the last is, of course, pain. We are taught uh, and we are also just by our nature known, uh, we, we know how to avoid pain. We, that's a good thing. Um, it's a survival mechanism. Um, and we also know that that is another one of those spectrums where there are parts of pain that wrap around and touch pleasure. And uh, for each of us, that intersection is different. Um, but, you know, some of us have a really high interest and tolerance in things that would be totally excruciatingly unpleasant pain for others. Um, and, you know, that's probably the most commonly understood uh, kinky taboo uh, category yeah. is pain because of SM stuff, <laughs> impact play stuff. But I purposefully put it last because I, not because it's, it's not a hierarchy, but just because uh, I think the other three, the putrid, the psychology and the power are mm -hmm. a little bit less frequently discussed. And we often play in these kind of chords, these uh, symphonies across all of these categories, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you yeah. know, when I was I mean, having a piss conversation about, you know, at, uh, at a, leather camp recently um someone said to me you know never call it wholesome again because they wanted the transgression of piss mm -hmm. play they wanted the degradation the humiliation and um my experience of it as wholesome was like yeah no that's not mine <laughs> um, right, or that's not desirable to me like mm -hmm. yeah i think that's so interesting and i think it's also really misunderstood out there in the larger world and in the media representation of like okay so all dominance or topping has to be like with this brutal, cruel intention and there has to be humiliation. And like, they, they do, there's like no understanding that like one way to be a dom is to lie back and be like, just pleasure me. Mm -hmm. I would like you to pleasure me for three hours while I lie perfectly still doing absolutely nothing. That can be a way of being a dom and be, or being a D type and topping. <laughs> And then bring me grapes. <laughs> and then bring me grapes. Absolutely. One of my faves. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah. or, or, you know, that idea of, well, piss play has to involve humiliation. No, it could be absent or, 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 you know, uh, taboo. And no, it could be like, let's, this is the most wholesome thing ever. Let's, you know, pretend we're bunnies, like, <laughs> or something like where we're just like, you know, 
frolicking happily in the meadow, peeing, hither and yawn. Um, it's just the most wholesome thing in the world. And that that could be, you know, the turn on for somebody else or just like mm-hmm. the thing that's really exciting and satisfying. And we don't figure it out all at once. And so I do want to kind of include a bit of a conversation about resilience and recovery. Mm. And what kink can teach us there, what skills we need to flex in order to um, bump up on our edges, but also have things that we thought we would like and then get them, right? That anticipation. And then you get and you're like, Mm. oh, I don't actually like this. Uh And there has to be a certain resilience to kind of go back and try something else um, or try it again with a slightly different context, a different psychology, a different power dynamic and see what's there for you. Um, what is the role of resilience and recovery for you within all of this? Mm. Yeah, I love that. So yes, absolutely. I mean, if, if nothing else, I hope that one thing people take away from this conversation is that like, there are infinite flavors mm-hmm. to any of these things. And so if you tried, if you were like, your partner's like, I would like you to step into a submissive role and you're like, okay, I think that means that I have to kneel down and wear a collar and, um, take a beating and you're, yeah. you're like, I don't want to do any of those things Yeah, that you don't have to like your submission doesn't have to look like anybody else's submission. And I would encourage you to have it not look like anybody else's submission. Mm-hmm. Yours can be completely your own variety. Your submission may mean, you know, that you do the grocery shopping <laughs> mm-hmm. or your submission may mean that you are the primary breadwinner in your collective household. And that is a service that you render for your partners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it could look and, 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 and it means you're a CEO like, in your day job and you are a boss. And that is your way of being a submissive to your partners in your collective mm-hmm. household. Like it could it's every aspect of this can get flipped a million different ways. So just, you know, keep keep playing, keep trying until you find what works for you in that particular moment. Know that it may shift, it may change, um, that there are other things out there for you. Um, And also that, you know, I I love that you brought up this thing of we may try something and decide we don't like it. I think there's so many better conversations about consent happening recently, which acknowledge the fact that enthusiasm like 100% 24/7 enthusiastic consent is not really an attainable goal for most of us um, that we're gonna have to try some things and maybe have some regrets afterwards or second thoughts uh, and we'll learn from those lessons like anything in life right like just like not every job you're gonna step into is gonna be the perfect job not every relationship you're gonna step into is gonna be the perfect relationship like you're gonna you're going to make some mistakes or the other person's going to make some mistakes and you're going to learn from them. You're going to maybe choose to leave. You're going to maybe choose to switch things up and that's okay. That's, that's a process of that is the, the, I I think maybe that's what you're talking about with resilience that we, um, we can learn from uh, the steps we've taken along the journey and we can change course. Um, And that, that is fine. And, and for some of us for whom our core sexuality is really pretty immovable mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're fetishists or something, that means that we can keep seeking different kinds of outlets along the way, depending on what makes sense for us. So there may be times in our life where our, our outlet for what we 
most love and want is uh, only in a fantasy realm, just mm -hmm. in our heads or like erotica, we're writing ourselves because we need to write the script that works for us mm -hmm. or finding porn and enjoying that on our own or exploring something with a partner or, you know, like, or a different partner and that that can continue, you know, and will continue to shift because our, our circumstances will change and our access to, uh, our access will change as well. Thank you. That is a beautiful note to go out on. And, you know, books like this and conversations like this are major doorways for people on that pursuit of happiness. So thank you so much for writing this book. We will link it up in the show notes. Um, where can folks find you if they want to learn more with you? Yeah, I'm at Ariel underscore Greenberg uh, with B-E-R-G on Instagram. And that's where I post most of the notifications about events and readings and things like that um, associated with the book. And the book also has a page on Beacon Press's website that people can check out for more information as well. And of course, just ask your local indie bookstore to order a copy for you and a copy for mm -hmm. the store. That would be a service to paying it forward to the next shy kinkster who maybe doesn't know about the book yet. <laughs> mm, I love that. And like, let's go out on that because that is like a very small act of letting your freak flag fly, mm. right? Where we started this conversation and the invitation here is to feel less alone in whatever has made you feel freaky to give yourself permission to explore and expand your own explorations and to give one another permission to celebrate their inner super freak. And as you said, if you go into an indie bookstore and have that moment of being out for just that moment, I mean, and booksellers tend to be freaks. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many wonderful queer uh -huh. and feminist bookstores now. Yeah. Um, and I will just give a shout out to Busboys and Poets in DC mm -hmm. is doing a book club about this book, and you know, it's like a long-standing activist inclusive space. And uh, you know, support even if you don't have aren't lucky enough to have something like that locally, you can order from a bookstore like that in another mm -hmm. city, and they will gladly send you the book. And then you don't have to go talk to them in person, but you can just go on the website and be like, "Oh, they love queer weirdos like me. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a great place to order a book from." And um, a book club yeah. is a great shout out too, because we can pervert our book clubs. We can suggest a book like this and order it together or start a book club. You know, if you have a few friends from a period of your life who you feel more comfortable talking about sex with, yeah. um, share the book, read it over a few months and get a cup of coffee together or get on Zoom together. These yeah. conversations are so much better in community. And that can start with just one conversation. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us here on Speaking of Sex. And I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Oh, me too. This was fantastic. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. We will be back next week with another episode of Speaking of Sex. And if this conversation has opened up something for you and you want to keep exploring, go to pleasuremechanics.com slash kink and you'll find our kinky sex online course, a guided adventure of 25 date nights into what is real for you here. How do you want to play and express yourself? We hold your hand and guide you through it step by step in interactive date nights. Uh, people have loved this course over the years. We made it just for you. You'll find it at pleasuremechanics.com slash kink. 
And like all of our online courses, it comes with a no risk guarantee so you can explore freely. We are here for you. We want to support you in your erotic journey. Thank you for listening. I'm Chris Maxwell Rose, founder of PleasureMechanics.com. We love you and we will see you next time here on Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. Wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. Cheers.